Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast. It's your boy Armando. Thank you for joining me on this episode. This episode is going to be a solo episode. Just me, no co-host, no guest, uh, special guest. We're just going to be me talking about... Uh, breakdown of my um, Lake Darnell uh, Hobie BOS tournament um, that I fished over the weekend. Um, it was a great time. So really, if you're into tournament fishing, you might you probably like this episode. Uh, we're going to do a full breakdown. Practice days um, and then day one and day two, what I saw and, you know, what I was uh, able to find. Spoiler alert, I finished 22nd out of 141. But we'll talk about that later. We're also going to be touching on my thoughts on the Hobie BOS tournament and Lake Darnell. The uh, Lake Darnell in itself, you know, the experience of fishing that lake, if you've never been there. Uh, we are also going to break down every catch and every technique that I used. And if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, um, I'm going to be sharing the screen of while I break down the episode, break down the lake, um, uh, catch by catch. If you're listening on the podcast, you're not watching it on our YouTube and Facebook channel, I do my best to kind of describe everything so you get an idea of what we're talking about here. But yeah, that's basically it. First of all, congratulations to Jackson Rambonis. I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Um, son of the great Ray Fred Rambonis, not last, son of the great... Rambonis made it sound like his dad was already passed away. No, no, sorry if it sounded that way. But anyways, uh, got a chance to spend some time at the Rambonis household um, on Saturday night. Great family, very generous family, very welcoming, warm family. Uh, so uh, it was a pleasure uh, hanging out with them. Huge congratulations to Jackson. He came up uh, the winner and he definitely put in a clinic. There was a lot of talk about you know, him being the son of Fred and living at the lake and all that. Um, nothing should be taken away from this amazing wind. Uh, and I'll share my thoughts on that towards the end of this episode. But really, great young man. Great young man. 
more importantly than fishing, just his personality, his character, just spending a few hours with him. Um, seems like a, a great young man um, who's been raised well. Um, so I'm sure parents are very proud of him. And uh, so big congrats to them. So uh, before we get into that, huge shout out to my sponsor, Douglas Outdoors. Go to douglasoutdoors.com. Check out the full lineup of LRS, X-Matrix, and award-winning fly fishing rods. Um, we'll go to a quick Waypoints commercial, and then we'll kick it off. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so Lake Darnell, last tournament of the Hobie BOS season. It was my last chance to qualify for the TOC. Um, I had fished two prior tournaments, the inaugural tournament for the season, the Toledo Bend. They didn't do well at all on that one. I also fished Broken Bow, um, which ironically I had a great pre two days of pre-fishing, but a horrible tournament. And then Lake Darnell, which I had a horrible pre-fishing, but had a pretty good um, tournament, all things considered. So let's start off with my thoughts on Lake Darnell. Um, lake Darnell is a beautiful lake. I, it's amazing. The wildlife, um, it's a very, very nice lake. It's a big lake. I really enjoyed the lake itself. You know, I got to see some um, bald eagles just fishing right next to me and you can see him just flying around and and all the time that I was there you see a ton of wildlife you see deer just swimming across or walking across the shallow lake um, a lot of wildlife beautiful wildlife um, so that was a great experience um, the lake fish very very tough it was a very tough lake if you've never been on that lake before and you managed to put a two-day limit, congratulations, because it was a tough lake. And that is not just based on what I experienced, but talking to pretty much everyone that I've talked to. Um, there was 141 of us. I didn't talk to 141 uh, of them to get their experience, but everyone that I talked to, even the greats like uh, Drew Gregory, uh, Rolando Nandine, who I was uh, rooming with, and also... Um, Dan, Daniel Glennie, uh, who's also staying with us at the Airbnb, they both had a tough day of pre-fishing. Mine was probably the worst. I struggled to get five bites on each day of pre-fishing. I pre-fished two days. As far as the area um, surrounding Lake Darnell, I was kind of disappointed. Um, when you compare it to uh, Broken Bow, Broken Bow is a beautiful scenery. And it's kind of up and coming, kind of trending. And even though it's still um, kind of a little bit wild on on Broken Bull, you can see that they're, you know, they have something going on with, you know, being a tourist attraction and they're building on something. It's a lot of cool things to see at um, at Broken Bull. Um, 
Darnell and Russellville, it was kind of disappointing um, not to pick on anybody from Arkansas, anybody from Russellville. Everybody was really nice, though. Um, I had a good time over there and with the locals. But just itself, you know, I when you lo- go to places like Broken Bowl, Toledo Bend, um, Lake Fork here, there's that bass fishing culture, right? So it doesn't have to be luxury. It doesn't have to be like, oh, my God, it's this is five-star. I'm not talking about anything like that. It's just like, like a lot of people that I've noticed really didn't care that much for fishing or bass fishing around the area, which kind of surprised me. Um, the Airbnb where we're staying, the owner of the Airbnb, huge on bass fishing. But other than that, talking to locals like on restaurants and just around the Russellville area, like everybody was kind of surprised. Like, oh, you come here all the way from Texas? Bass fish? Really? Like where? Like Darnell? Um, so I, it was kind of disappointing. They only had one tackle store in the whole town. I think it's KM Outdoors. Um hugely disappointed with that um on saturdays they close at 3 p.m and on sundays they don't open i guess because they don't have any competition it was the only tackle store out there um and i was like seriously like (laughs) you don't have you don't have a tackle store that stays open later than three o'clock on a saturday um and our plan was after Day one was to, you know, um, get some tackle um, based on what we saw and some backup tackle as well. And when we find out it closes at three o'clock, I was like, what the heck? My tackle shop closes at three o'clock at a lake. But that goes to show you not a lot of people fish that lake. Um, and I didn't see a lot of boats either. So, yeah, so it was interesting. I was that that asked with the culture behind uh, the or the bass fishing culture, I should say, behind uh, Lake Darnell was not what I expected. You know, Broken Bull had a few tackle shops, and uh, you know everything revolved about the lake experience. Russellville, it's like it's it's just like they didn't care about Lake Darnell being there and, and bass fishing and all that. But um, also, not a lot of good places to eat. We did found a little diner that we I had a double cheeseburger with bacon. That was amazing burger. But other than that, not a lot of restaurants. Um, So, yeah, it it was kind of slacking there a little bit. Um, But anyways, um, the lake itself, um, it's more of a river. Um, And a damned river than than a lake. Um, So there's, or you know, basically it's a reservoir. But um, it has a flowing, you know, it's still a flowing river system, which you know, has uh, ships coming up and down and all that, um, from what I understand. Um, but again, I'm not particularly on the history of Lake Darnell. But the water clarity was at best in some areas, one to two feet. I did found a nice creek that had eight feet uh, deep, and water visibility on that creek was about three or four feet but I couldn't find any bass fish in there. So let's start off with the practice. Day one practice, and I'll share on my screen here. Um, let me see if I can find it. Share screen. Where's my share screen? So uh, Chrome tab. So apologize here. Here we go. 
So this is where we kind of stayed, 48 Bay Loop uh, Airbnb. Go check it out if you ever go to Lake Darnell. It was right here. It had a little boat dock. Unfortunately, we cannot launch out of a private boat dock. Otherwise, this would have been great. But we stayed here. I launched out of this blue flag right here. If you can see, it's called the ramp. This is the Delaware Park. Um, small park. Uh, I don't know why they call it a park because there's really nothing there. Um and that's kind of like uh, part of my disappointment with with the with the coach with again with the with the outdoor culture that um, surrounded uh, around Lake Darnell. I think it's a beautiful place, but I don't think they take advantage of the resources as quite a quite as good as I I think they should. But anyways, um, I started off at this boat ramp right here. Pre-fishing day one took me all around this coast, which if you're looking at the Delaware Public uh, Park, I went all the way north, west, west, um, went underneath the bridge here, got deep into this creek. Man, I got really deep into this creek right here. Uh, somewhere around here I ended up. Uh, couldn't find any bass fish here. Um, uh what I've heard, their bass have not moved up. They're still kind of in their summer pattern. The fall pattern hasn't really started. So most of the bass were just, or the big bass were just offshore. Um, you can find some bass, at least in my area, that I pre-fish along the shoreline, but it wasn't big. Um, it was just, you know, 12, 14-inch bass. Uh, the occasional 16, maybe 19-inch bass, but Really, I think the bigger fish were offshore. At least, again, on my experience, I haven't heard um, how the rest of the um, the guys that and girls that uh, landed in the money um, fished or where they caught them, caught them on. You can check the on Facebook the Hobie BOS, which everyone kind of breaks down. You know how they catch them and where they caught them. But uh, yeah, so I took it all the way here. So that's I don't know a good three or four miles. From here all the way here to um, Darwin Cemetery. So, yeah. So, all this cove I pre-fished mostly stayed um, beating the bank on them. Um, and, again, I couldn't couldn't find much. I got a limit, small limit. Day two, we went a little bit west to Shoal Bay. Oh, I went a little bit west to Shoal Bay. It's day two, I prefished with Rolando Nandine and Daniel Glennie. Um, and what we did, we launched out of Shoal Bay Park. And again, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, I'll show you. We went up this creek, only caught like two or three um, fish, all small uh, fish. Kind of went halfway through this um, bank over here. Um didn't really explore it. Didn't feel like it was holding any fish on it. Uh, Dublin Park, same thing. I went halfway through it, but couldn't find anything. So I liked the motivation to keep going down. So I went up creek, really up creek, all the way to where the grass will let me, which was just around here. I found some bass here. Caught my, finished my limit right here in this area. Um, some of the techniques that I employed during pre-fishing uh, for both days was, um, I'll stop sharing the screen now here. Um, some of the techniques that I implemented were um, 
started off with the chatterbait. Those that know the those of you that know me know that I love uh, the chatterbait uh, bite. Um, so I'm always going to start with that. I threw in some net rigs, um, uh, some crankbaits, um, some Texas rig cross, but um, mostly most of the bites came off the um, chatterbait. Uh, but again, not enough. I didn't feel confident going after after my two days of practice that I was going to win this or end up in the top three to qualify for the tournament of champions, which was my goal. I had, did not feel confident at all. Um, the only thing that gave me a little bit of confidence was that everybody was struggling with. And this is, this is kind of the ironic part of it. On Broken Bowl, I was catching fish on every single technique at any point in the lake. It doesn't matter what I threw or where I threw it. I was catching fish, tons of them. So I was riding high that way going into day one um, of that tournament, and I ended up sucking it up. I ended up sucking that whole tournament. Um, this one was complete opposite. So my two days of pre-fishing were kind of horrible. Um, again, 60-inch limits. Um, so it wasn't – I didn't feel comfortable at all. But then again, again nobody did. Um, so day one, um, I decided to go where I went my first day of pre-fishing, which is Delaware Park. Uh, I had thoughts of going to other areas. So this was my thinking. I'm thinking I can either try a new area. Um, that I haven't fished and try to figure out if I can catch something and that it's worth um, getting me, you know, into the top of or close to the top of the leaderboard after day one. Or I can just go back to where I went the first day and hopefully the fish are there. Um, again, I didn't have a set plan. I had nothing. I couldn't figure out anything. All I knew was that um, chatterbait or bladed jig bite was probably the only thing that was working and really it wasn't good at all. So I decided, you know, instead of testing new waters, I'm just going to go to that place and try to see if I can get, find a stretch where I can catch him and just try to focus on a limit. If my view was, if I can catch a quick limit, even if it's a small limit, then if it's early off, early enough in the day, then I'll hop on the car, load up, and go someplace else. Um, there was other areas, Illinois Bay, um, um, which is pretty much like the honey hole or the community hole, I should say. And I just didn't want to deal. I don't do well with you know with too many people around me. There was two basketball tournaments um, running at the same time. So having said that, you know I went to. Um, Delaware Park, it was only like five or six of us at the boat ramp. Um, I didn't really see a lot of boats. Um, so I guess the either the basketball tournament um, went other places and, uh, and really weren't really interested in where I was fishing, which kind of worried me. Also, not a lot of the tournament anglers. You know, I've been to tournaments where there's 20 of us at the boat ramp. This one, it was just five of us um, and two of two that I spoke to um, haven't even pre-fished the tournament. They just picked that place because it was close by. So I've 
I felt even less confident that I was going to get a good limit or even get a limit on after day one. So I started off the day, and I'll share the screen again. Um, I started off the day. Let me go back to the share screen. Chrome tab. Ooh, like Darnell. Sorry about that, guys. Here we go. So again, Delaware Park did the same thing. I started off uh, the public uh, ramp and... One of the few areas I saw in Navionics, this cove right here, which is just west of the park after uh, secondary point, it's a huge flat and it's, you know, averages like 12 to 14 feet deep. Um, it's a pretty big cove, um, all things considered. So um, I had caught a fish here on pre-fishing. I started off with that and I just started working the bank, working the bank, working the bank all around, all around. Um and when I got to this little pocket right here, which is just southwest of the boat ramp, um, somewhere around mid-morning, I caught uh, my two, uh, two fish. Um, and they were pretty good size. I can't remember all of it. I think it was like a 16 and a half and a 16-inch or a 14-incher. No, no, actually, they were all my biggest, my smallest bass was 16 and a quarter. So I think I caught like a 16 and a half and like an 18 and a half. Um, but um, that was pretty much it for that one. And um, I kept moving around, kept moving around everywhere, just beating the bank, beating the bank. Um, and I couldn't find anything. I, I found on the Navionics, there's a little island just one feet deep here. And actually, correct myself, that's where I started off. So... Let me correct that. When I started off, I went beeline directly to this point on the straight down on the opposite side, like on the south side of the lake to this point right here. Yeah, now I remember. Um, and I prefish, not this island, but further up, there's another little island that was just one feet deep on the water. Prefish, I mean, fish that, but I couldn't get any bites. It's just gar. Then I started moving towards the southwest side of things. And eventually I got to this cove right here. Actually, that was later in the day. And that's where I caught uh, my two first two fish. Um, and I found them because I was beating the bank. And then I noticed this um, big chad jumping out of the water. Just out of the corner of my eye. And I thought, okay that's that's what i'm looking for that's exactly what i'm looking for big chad um that was my indication that i should now focus on throwing a chatterbait i was trying different things just to get a limit uh, chatterbait wasn't working in the morning top water wasn't working for me in the morning so when i saw that i'm like immediately okay i have to fish this i have to fish this area and second thing i noticed they were off the bank so it was more of an offshore bite they were like, I don't know, like 200 feet off the bank. So I was like, okay, they're not in the bank, at least not the big fish. So I cast it in there, got two quick ones, like I said, 16 and a quarter, and I think like an 18 and a quarter was the other one. Nothing after that, then kept moving, kept moving north, um, and now I focused on staying off the bank um, and just focusing more on four to feet, four feet deep water, four, 
four fifth oh my god from four feet to ten feet deep that's what i meant to say uh deep water and stayed off the bank i couldn't duplicate that um so i had two hours to go no i had one hour to go so i figured okay um i haven't found anything i'm gonna go back to that same spot uh so i went back to that same spot and i got my last three bites um the last one came 45 minutes um before lines out my third bite was an 18 19 and three quarter inch bass and that's why i said okay game on like if i'm catching this that this this gives me a chance now i was motivated i was dead tired but i was like that gave me the energy that i was looking that that i that i needed um i looked at the leaderboard saw that jackson rambonis was in the lead he kind of called up like seven times so i'm thinking man this kid has at least caught 12 bass so he's probably gonna end up in the lead just by averages because i'm catching at this point, I'm only catching three bass. Um, I only caught three bass, and I still had an hour to go. So even I catch two more bass, I was like, no, this I'm I'm not going to catch up to this guy. But at least I get a limit. Um, but, man, after that 19 and three quarters, I caught quickly caught two more. And they were both, uh, I think, in the 18th and... 18 inch range. I can't remember all the totals, but ended up with um, 89 and a half, 88 and a half. I actually had 89. My last fish came 45 minutes before line out, lines out. I was so nervous and so thankful um, that I didn't pay attention to what I was doing. And I left the mouth cracked open when I was going to post it. I immediately noticed that called AJ McWhorter. Uh, tournament director told him, hey, AJ, I'm about to post this picture. I just want to let you know I screwed up on the picture. The mouth is open. I know that. I realize that. You don't have to text me or call me. It's measures 18, 89 inches. So, but I know it's going to be deducted. I just want to apologize for making your job harder and letting you know that I know that it was wrong, that I know I screwed up, but just going to give you a heads up. And he said, don't worry. Thank you for the call. Uh, just post it. We'll deduct data prior appropriately so they did so it ended up being instead of 89 inches my day one total was 88 and a half if i would have had the mouth closed it would have been a it would have been a quarter of an inch less so i basically lost if i would have measured it correctly it would have been three quarter inch i would have ended up with I'm trying to explain this. I would have ended up with 80 in and a quarter and three quarters. I'm sorry, 80 in and three quarters. But because of the deduction, I ended up with 88 and a half. And I'm I'm fine with that. That's those are the rules. I screwed up. That's my responsibility. So um realistically, I just ended up with a quarter of an inch. I penalized, I ended up being penalized a quarter of an inch because it wouldn't have measured. I wouldn't have gotten 89 inches. I would have gotten. 88 and three quarters if I would have mentioned it correctly. And then kind of like they deduct a quarter of an inch for a half an inch, which it's fair. You know, it's my screw up. So I have no problems with that. AJ McWhorter did what he needed to do. And I didn't 
do what I needed to do, which is pay attention to what I was doing. At that point, I'm 88, uh, 88 and a half. Jackson is at, I think, at 83 and a half. So I felt super confident going to day one. I found that spot. I missed the bite and I caught four on that spot. My first bass actually came on the opposite side. Um, that was fairly early in the morning. So my thought is I got 45 minutes. I can try to upgrade, but I didn't see the point of trying to upgrade. I was already five inches ahead of the leader. Garrett Morgan, I think, was um, either tied for second place or just below Jackson. I didn't, with 45 minutes ago, I didn't think anybody was going to catch up to me after day one. If I would have kept out, my thought was, if I keep fishing, trying to upgrade, I'm just going to sore lip this fish. I'm not going to win it on day one, but I can certainly lose it by the decisions that I make on day one. 45 minutes ago, I decided I'm going to leave this bass alone. I don't want to sore lip him. I already hooked five fat, fat, big bass into this little cove. It was a little pocket too, by the way. Um, not a big population of bass. And there's no point. There's really no point. I hooked into five of them, lost one. I'm just leaving alone um, and focus on day two. By lines out, I noticed Garrett Morgan had actually upgraded and now was an inch above me. He was in 89 and a half. I was 88 and a half. That kind of surprised me. Um, I would have thought maybe Garrett Morgan would have kind of done the same thing. Um, would have just said, hey, I'm going to leave this. But he kept fishing. Um, credit to him. I'm not going to question Garrett Morgan's decision. He is an absolute hammer and he has had a solid season overall both on kbf on kbf obbos and the bass nation kayak series so far better angler than i am i am not going to question his decision to keep fishing uh it could have been that he caught him earlier just didn't have a cell signal to upload it so but i was surprised i was surprised that i was in second place um after having a five inch lead on with 45 minutes ago. But the way I looked at it, that kind of took a little bit of the pressure off me because not a lot of eyes were focused on me. They were more focused on Guy Morgan got day one. Now I noticed a lot of people did reach out to me and thank you for all that supported me and reached out to me. There's so many of you. I'm not going to name each one of you because I'm going to forget a few of you. So I don't want to disrespect anybody. Um, so, but you know who you are, you know, thank you for texting me and showing your support after day one and congratulating me. Um, so day one, after day one, you know, I got to the house, I was super nervous. I've, I don't remember feeling as much pressure as I've ever felt. Um, the only thing I can think of was, uh, when I was going to get married, I was super nervous. Um, and when I proposed to my beautiful wife that, that day, I was super nervous. But other than that, I don't remember ever being this nervous. Um, I, I, I couldn't sleep on day. I did manage to sleep a little bit um, after day one, um, but I was super nervous. I got up. I was shaking. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 the nerves were all over. I mean, I... I've never felt so much pressure. And it's funny because if if I'm in the middle of the pack, then, you know, I go with the mentality where, you know, I'm, you know, off, 
anybody's radar. I can just go out there and perform. And if I do great, then everybody's going to like, oh, man, clutch. And if I don't do great, when they'll, you know, I kind of fall off everybody's radar. But being in um, second place, I know I was, you know, I, I had a target on me. I was, you know, a lot of people, like you said, I messaged me and congratulate which is good. I like it. But at the same time, there's a there's that pressure of like, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to be labeled as the guy that, you know, choked on the pressure or couldn't get it done. So I really was really nervous. The other thing is I only caught five fish. I only got six bites. Like I said, I lost one of them. So it wasn't like I had it figured out. Now, this is what I've always said about myself as an angler. If I find a good bladed jig or chatterbait, whatever you want to call it, bite, I'm taking someone's money. I may not win it, but I have a good shot of winning that tournament and a great shot at landing in the money. I mean, I'm telling you, and I'm, I'm not bragging, if you get me on a good chatterbait bite, money's on me that I'm going to win it. I, I promise you. It's it's my go-to. It's where I feel comfortable. I got it dialed in. I know what rods I want to use. I know immediately what speed. I'm very conscious of the real speed that I'm using. I'm very conscious of the rod that I'm using, the weight, everything. I, I got that dialed in. I'm super confident with it. Um, So my worry was if that chatterbait bite is not there, what am I going to do? And this is where my limitation as an angler comes in. I talk about one of the best performance I've seen on a tournament, which was Rolando Nandin's win at the inaugural tournament this season. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you can go check it out. Uh, that, that is one of the most epic wins I've seen on a tournament. And this is why. Rolando Nandin was leading after day one. We had a pretty good lead after day one. A cold front came in. And keep in mind, this is we're talking about Toledo Bend, the inaugural uh, tournament in February for the Hobie BOS. A cold front came in, and there was going to be a frost in the morning. So it was going to be a little bit ice in the morning. It was going to drop below um, freezing level. Uh, just a little bit. Just enough to put some put some ice on top of your kayak. Day one of that tournament was very different. It was a lot of wind. Um, it was cold, but not too cold. It was somewhere in the 50s, I think. But it was going to drop down to below 30s uh, overnight. Rolando Nandin took the decision to, on day two, go to a completely different side of the lake with a completely different bite in a completely different technique before he took that decision the night before to put it in perspective you're leading after day one on a tournament and all of a sudden you did you look at the weather pattern and you decide you're going to throw everything you did on day one and completely change it in the hopes that the changes you make are gonna coincide with the pattern that you expect considering the drastic change of conditions let me tell you something. That is the gutsiest move I've seen in kayak fishing. I don't know anybody else that would have 
How do I say this? They don't have the guts. I'm just going to have the guts. I want to keep this family oriented. But they have the guts to make that decision and get the biggest limit on day two. I am telling you right now, I am nowhere near that level. And I'm going to tell you right now, very few anglers are at that level of knowledge and and confidence. That takes a lot of confidence. And shifting my attention to my tournament, that's not me. I uh, to me, I knew if if my chatterbait bite was gone, I was gonna struggle. And I, I that was my worries. Like, what's gonna happen if those fish are no longer there and the chatterbait bite is not there? What am I gonna do? Um. So day two. Um, got to the boat ramp. Nobody, nobody at the boat ramp. I got there. The lines out was at 6.30. I got there at 5 a.m. From 5 a.m. to 6.30 a.m., I'm just sitting on my kayak. For an hour and 30 minutes, I'm sitting in a kayak in complete darkness. Um, Just me and myself. Usually there's people to talk around, but everybody that fished that area on day one sucked at it. Um, so I didn't know what to think of it. You know, it's like that, that speaks to how bad that area is. I just had, I just found this pocket, this little, you know, hundred yard stretch where there were just a small school of big bass just grouping there together. Now you can call it luck. I don't think it's luck because I was paying attention to what was around me. And I was changing my tactics to try to see what I find. And what I saw that made me change my approach to now, this is what I'm looking for with big chat jumping out of the water and bass coming up behind it. That, you know, triggered my decision. Okay, I need to switch back to a chatterbait bite. This is what I was looking for. This is what I was praying for. I found it. Let's capitalize on it. That to me is not luck. There's a certain part of uh, luck when it comes to tournament fishing, but I've always said you have to be good enough to have luck play a role in your success. By that, I mean you have to know at least or be talented or knowledgeable um, to a certain degree where Lux plays a part. And I know I'm not explaining this correctly. Like, if you don't know anything about fishing and you're not doing anything right, you can be lucky, but you're not going to win a tournament. You're not going to even catch a check. Now, you, if you're good enough to um, get five fish, then luck can play a part of it where you find, you know, you cast it right at the at at the right spot and you hooked into the, big, uh, the biggest bass and, or... Or something like happened to me. But that just doesn't come with, oh, all of a sudden I stumbled on on bass and I got lucky. No, I I paddled about five miles to find that spot. I was fortunate to, to, to witness what I was looking for, which again was bass busting out of the chat, busting out of the water and bass following it. Yes, in that aspect, I was fortunate or lucky enough, whatever you want to call it, to be there at the right time. But I wouldn't be there at the right time if I just hadn't made the decision to explore and keep my eyes open 
and try to look for signs of what to do. So um, take that for what it's worth. So day two, um, like I said, nobody at the boat ramp. I had it all to myself. Uh, you know, I, an hour and 30 minutes just sitting in the kayak next to the boat ramp, just, you know, contemplating life and and just playing over my mind what I needed to do. And maybe I had way too much time to think about it. Um, since there was nobody at the boat ramp, I didn't have to, like, hurry to my spot, even though it was close to the boat ramp. What I did was, like, on my way to the boat ramp, I just um, tried to check out if there was anything else, other signs. Um Around the area, um, I, you know, once lines out were permitted, then I started casting and I, you know, I worked the bus bait. I worked uh, other other baits just to see if I can find something. I didn't really rush to my first spot because I wanted to have a backup plan. Um, and I figured, let me let me explore on my way there. So nothing didn't get a bite. Finally, I got to my spot that I found the top four fish on day one. And eventually, um, shortly after, I get a short strike, but a bite. I tried to set the hook, set it as hard as I, I could. Um, and I learned something. I noticed something from day one. So let me go back to day one real quick. On day one, my, my second bite, I already caught one fish on the opposite side of the lake. So my first bite on this pocket where I caught the big bass was a mess hook set and i wanted to share this and i forgot to mention on day one that's when i'm going back to it i wanted to share some knowledge on what to avoid when you out fishing and this is a mistake most anglers including myself make it's moving towards your bait i can't tell you how important it is to avoid that i think most fish that are lost is because we're not paying attention to where we're moving. A lot of times, when you, especially in a tournament, you want to cover ground, so you roll cast. You, you cast and you start moving towards where your bait is. I can't tell you how bad of a hook set you're going to have if you land into big fish. If you're doing it for fun fishing or pre-fishing and you just want to figure out the lay of the land and you don't have a lot of time for pre-fishing and you want to kind of like um, explore, don't have that much time, by all means, go roll cast. Because you're not really worried about the hook. You just, in fact, it's probably better if you don't hook into a lot of fish because that way you don't show lip them before the tournament starts. So, yes, in that aspect, I will do roll casting. But I make it a point when I'm fishing that I stop. Um, and fishing on a tournament especially, I stop and I cast and my automatically put my pedal drive in reverse in case I do get a bite I, and start pedaling, I immediately start pedaling to the opposite side. That way you get that line stretch, you get that hook penetration. So when my first bite on that bank uh, where I caught the four fish was I was just coming off the point and I gotten into some wind. The wind had picked up and it was pushing me to where I my first cast was. So I hooked into this big fish, but because the wind was pushing me towards it, I lost the fish. Um, and I mentioned that because it's very important. If, if you're out fishing, if you're new to fishing, I know most of the uh, more experienced anglers already know this, but if you're just learning fishing, that is something you need to pay attention for. Don't move towards your bait is and make sure the, the, um, the wind or the current, it's not moving 
you towards your bait. Make sure you're either moving on the opposite side or at least at a standstill anchor if you need to or pedal while you're backwards while you are retrieving your lure, but uh, do something to avoid you being moved. So the adjustment that I made was when I saw that happen, I immediately switched and start instead of casting towards the bank, I cast it against the wind towards the um, towards the offshore. And that's how I landed um, those uh, four fish. So um, day two, I got to my spot, did the same thing, kind of rounded about the cove so I didn't want to go over the top of them. And I started casting from the bank towards the, towards the open water because the wind, I had the wind uh, on my face. So that way I wouldn't be pushed toward it. My first uh, bite was a um, short strike. So I set the hook. It came off predictably. As soon as I set the hook, I figured it was going to come off because it really felt like a short strike. And it did. But I didn't worry about it. I didn't have a second thought. I was actually relieved because I was like, okay, day two, the bass are here. They're still here and they're still biting on a chatterbait. I got this. I I, I was like, Jackson, um, Garrett, watch out. I'm coming. I am coming. I was super confident. So I immediately went back, cast it again. Boom, got it. It, it was another short strike, but I caught it, landed it, kept casting out there and kept getting short strikes. I'm like, damn. So I now have to make an adjustment. So I started, I wanted to keep that chat pattern, but there were short, short striking my um, chatterbait. Um, so what I did, I switched to a fluke. I put a little um, nail weight on the middle of the fluke and I started casting it toward five feet deep water. Um, and sure enough, second cast, I land my second fish. They weren't overly big. I think it was like 16 and a quarter and a 14 and a quarter. But good enough that I felt like, okay, you know, um, this is good. I looked at the leaderboard. Jackson uh, was in the lead, um, but his fish were fairly small. I think there was something in the 13-inch, 14-inch um, range, something like that. So I figured I, I, I can I can still... I can still win this. Um, it was early in the morning. I, I think I got my first two bites within the hour or something close to that. So I was like, great, feeling high, riding this confidence. So I kept casting, kept getting short strikes. Um, I would switch back and forth between the fluke and the chatterbait. But I kept getting short strike on both of them. So I figured, okay, let me leave him for now. It's still early in the morning. There's nobody out here. Nobody saw me. There's absolutely no kayaks around. Let me move around, leave this spot. I don't have to worry about somebody coming in. And just uh, work the bank in other areas or the offshore bank and see if I can find something else. And I'll come back to it. I did that because that's what worked on, on day one. Day one, when I found those fish, I found... And again, going back to day one, I found one at the opposite side of the of the cove, and um, and then later on, I got my my second and third bite on that cove that we're talking about that had holding the big fish. Then I didn't get any bites after that. Then I came back later in the day with an hour left and caught my final two fish. So I figured I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna wait till the wind picks up again, like it did yesterday. And I'm um, gonna go back to it once the wind picks up. For now, I'm just gonna work the. Um, I'm just gonna circle around the cove and come back to it. So I keep going. I found this um, 
bridge and some riprap along the road. Um, and I saw, I see huge water blow up. I know it wasn't guard, but I got, a, I had a feeling there were sand bass, but nevertheless, I think maybe there's a bass, um, around there somewhere. Uh, I threw a chatterbait and I did land a, a square bill actually threw in a chat pattern square bill and I landed this huge, uh, white bass or sand bass, whatever you want to call it. I'm kind of disappointed, but I feel like, okay, yeah, that's kind of what I expected when I cast it then when I saw the top water blow ups. So I kept working the, you know, roadside um, jetties. I don't know. If, I'm not sure if that's what you call it, but that's what I call it. Um, and I just worked that square bill parallel to the uh, bank, just banging in on rocks. I see another top water blow up, and I immediately knew that is was not a gar. It was not sand bass. That was a bass. So I cast it toward it. Boom. Got a bass. I think that was something like a 14 and a half incher. He inhaled that square bill. So now I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. The spot that I did so great yesterday that I came back here today on day two, I'm getting short strikes on the fluke and on the chatterbait. And I'll talk a little bit more about that chatterbait because um, there's some interesting information on that. And then, but on this square bill, now, keep in mind, it's not the same spot. This guy in totally inhaled it. So I was like, huh, maybe I should go back over there when the time's right and try a square bill. So I kept fishing. Um, I ran into another kayak angler, and I want to talk a little bit about the unwritten rules of kayak fishing. And when I fished the Toledo Bend and Broken Bow Hobie BOS tournaments, after day one, when I fished day two, it was fun fishing because I knew I wasn't going to win anything. I had horrible day one in both tournaments. You have to follow written rules. You as an angler do not have to follow unwritten rules. That is up to you. However, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you don't want to follow unwritten rules and you want to write your own set of unwritten rules, you have every right to do so. Like I said, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't expect that in this small community where word gets around that you're going to have the respect of other anglers if you don't follow the unwritten rules. I'll give you again my example and not, not tutoring my horn on this. I'm not trying to be the ethics police or the police of unwritten rules. It's just I share what I feel is going to help the kayak fishing community. In, in whole, not just myself, but in whole, and each one of you individually. When I face those tournaments on day one, I suck. Day two, if I would run into somebody, first thing I do is I stop casting. I put my rod, my rod holder, go up to the person and say, hey, I'm not in the money, and I'm all I'm fishing is for big bass. I know we're coming across, so if you want to fish, whatever you want to fish, let me know. I don't care moving. I'd, if you have a chance to catch a check, I don't want to be the reason that you didn't catch a check. So feel free to tell me what you, you know, not what you're doing, but uh, what would you like me to, you know, not do in order to avoid from you. Most times people say, oh, I'm not in the money, run for the money either. So no worries to whatever you want all that. That being said, I don't expect people to do the same for me. Like day two, I was in second place. 
I don't expect people to come to me and tell me, hey, you want me to stop fishing? Of course not. That's just something I do. My personal, um, uh, my personal view of this. Because to me, it's more important how my peers view me than catching a check. My reputation, my good name is more important than any check. I can make as much money winning check, but if I'm known as a guy who doesn't follow rules, the unwritten rules, is being a jerk on the water, doesn't play nice, no. I'd rather be a loser, but a good one at that than be a, a sour winner. So that being said, I come across this young gentleman. I forgot his name, and I, I, I wish I would have remembered his name so I can give him props. And I tell him, hey, man, I know you're heading that way. That little cove over there, um, I caught a ton of – I caught some big fish yesterday. And he already told me he wasn't in the, in the, in the hunt for any money other than big bass. And I told him, I can't tell you not to fish. What I'm asking you is, if you don't mind, would you not – uh, fish it and i'm in second place um i caught my three bass and i need two more to get to secure myself you know secure, to secure a spot in the money even if they were even if they were 12 inch bass and i told him even a 12 inch bass i get two 12 inch bass i had three by then i needed two more i'm in the money so is it okay with you and if he would have said no screw you i'm gonna fish it anyways I'm not going to get into a fight. I'm like, yeah, it's it's an unwritten rule. You're not obligated to follow it. But the guy was super nice. He said, like, no, dude, what, what's the spot? I'm told it's over there. He says, are you going to fish it now? It's like, no, I'm going to go to the other side because I caught a fish on my first fish on day one. It's at the other side. So I'm going to see if I can find it again. And then I'm probably going to go back as soon as the wind picks up, which is expected to be you know, an hour or so for two hours from now or later in the day. So he said, fine, dude, don't worry. If I see you coming my way, I'll stay. I'll leave that cove alone. If I see you coming that way, I'll, I'll, or wherever you're going, I'll make sure to leave your spot. And true to his word, he did. You know, he, he kept going to where um, the cove, but he didn't get to the cove. I saw him wouldn't turn around. And then he, as soon as he saw me cross to the other side to go back to my spot, he then proceeded to go to the other side. Again, I don't expect that treatment for anybody. I don't expect the red carpet. Um, that is just, I mentioned that. If you are fishing a two-day tournament and after day two, you have no shot of winning the money other than Big Bass, and you come across somebody that has a chance to, you know, qualify for a TOC, earn a check, or even win it, consider, I would urge you to consider being the bigger person and just have that communication. It's like, hey, you know, I don't. You need that spot. Um, and if somebody tells you, hey, are you in the money and you're not? Or are you in the hunt for money and you're not? And they ask you, could you please, you know, not fish where I'm going to fish or, you know, allow me the spot. Do them the courtesy. Because you definitely would want somebody to be that considered with you. My personal opinion. Again, so you don't have to follow the rules. If you The unwritten rules, if you don't want to, that is up to you. But keep in mind, not by me, because I'm not going to trash talk anybody. But word is going to get around um, and you're going to be labeled pretty quick. That's just the fact of it. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you are in the money or if you have a chance of winning the money like I had in day two and you ask this favor and somebody says, no, man, I want to win big bass of the day. Keep in mind, there is no obligation for that person to yield to you as well. 
you want to take to social media after that, I respect it. Um, but keep in mind, that's just a courtesy that person is extended to you if that does decide. It's nice, but there are no obligation. You know, they want to fish. They pay their entry fee just as you and I did. And they want to enjoy their experience and they want to catch fish. So they're at no obligation to yield to you. So that's both sides of it. So um, that's it. Moving on, went to the spot where I caught that uh, first fish on day one, see if it was still there, wasn't there. Um, I kept working the bank. Um, finally, I saw the wind picked up, so I headed back to that cove. Again, I got short strikes on it. Um, I quit. I kept going from a uh, the bladed jig to a um, to a fluke, which was the first two that worked, and I kept getting short strikes on both, but I wouldn't get him to commit to the. So again, I thought, okay, I stayed there for an hour. Now I got three hours left. Now I need to hustle and bustle and run and gun because I don't have that much time. So I go again across to the other cove and continue to where I left off. Um, and uh, once I get there, I caught my fourth fish, and it was on a jack on the was it? It was a bladed jig. I think it was the jackhammer. Um, and he totally inhaled it. Now, now I'm thinking, did I sore lip this bass on day one? And keep in mind, I stopped as soon as I got my limit on day one because I did not want to sore lip it. So this, this is where I'm going with this. And this is where you have to have situational awareness. In that cove, the bass were still there. But for whatever reason, they were short striking, especially the bladed jig. But everywhere else that I threw a, a bladed jig or a, um, or a square build, they were inhaling it. So I was like, why is it that that specific spot is short striking everything and everywhere else it's inhaling it? So that got me into my mind. It's like those bass are sore lipped. And it's, it's frustrating because I did my best not to sore lip them, you know. But keep in mind, this is a very, very small stretch with a small community of big fish. So if it would have been a bigger stretch with more abundant fish that would be replenishing with currents, you know, you get a school of fish and another school of fish comes out. But this is not, this wasn't where the current was. It was just a cove that doesn't get any current unless it's wind current. So that's what happened. So as much as I tried to be responsible, nor so not sore lipping, inevitably they did. And that completely threw away my plan. That was eventually my undoing. So I got my fourth fish and I kept going through the bank. I flipped or oh, I skipped into a dock and I got my fish fish and i was like so ecstatic about it I set the hook same thing he completely swallowed that jackhammer um so that kind of like immediately i knew what was going on on that coat they were sore lipped so got him out of the water it was just an inch short 12 inch 12 inch bass keep in mind a 12 inch bass at that point with three hours to go would have put me in the top three, which would have given me a TOC. That was at that point. Eventually, I would have needed a lot more by lines out. But I was so 
I was so sad. I was like, damn it. I got two and a half hours to go. And I just caught this 11 inch. One more inch. One more inch would get him to me in the money. So I got two and a half hours to go. I decide to go to a new stretch of water where I've never been before and try to work it out. So I go there and I'm just running and gunning and try to see if I can find something. Try to find I can find something. It was like a small, uh, short bluff wall, with like like 15 feet going into the bank, and then it will go um, to four feet eventually in the bank. Um, we're talking about that. So I thought that looked promising on the Navionics. So I worked it. Couldn't find a bass. I got now an hour and a half left. And I decided I'm going to go back to the place um, where I caught the biggest fish on day one and just live and die out there. I didn't feel comfortable from what I've seen. The exploring new water is going to work. Um, I had a choice at this point. I'm either going to switch to a Ned rig or some finesse fish and try to get my five fish limit or um or i was trying to go big now keep in mind even though i would have gotten i've thought at that point before they took the leaderboard away that even a 12 inch fish would have landed me in the top toc i knew there was still time to go and then there were still people fishing in areas there were a lot of fish people catching up by then um uh, what's his name? Uh, Jordan Marshall that moved up. Um, I forgot the name of the other one uh, they, who ended up taking second place, have moved up as well in the top three position. I think Garrett Morgan had dropped down to fourth. So I was just like, okay, a 12-inch bass is going to get me in the money. But keep in mind, my goal is to make it into the TOC, either win it or make it the TOC. And I mentioned this because this was uh, – what kind of my decision i mentioned this because i want to explain why my decision is because a lot of you are going to think why didn't you do this instead of doing that and this is why i didn't do it if this was the first tournament of the season or at least the halfway through the season and i need a 12 inch bass to get me into the money i would have switched to a net rig or a child's play rig, which I like to use a lot. And I always seem to catch fish on the child's play rig, which if you don't know it, go research it. It's kind of like the wheatless net rig. Uh, the hook is on the top instead of the bottom and it goes uh, Texas rig, which is my go-to finesse technique. I figured if I switch to a child's play rig or net rig, I am going to catch a fish. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can catch a fish, but it's not going to be a big fish. Percentage-wise, law of averages would have told me it would have been somewhere in the 12, 14 inch, which would have done nothing but get me in the money, but nothing in terms of winning it or getting to the TOC. This were this was where situational situational awareness comes into place. What was my goal? My goal was not to catch a check. My goal was to make it into the TOC, either by winning it or landing on the top three. I got two choices. Even though my chatterbait, um, last bite on the chatterbait was 11 inches, by law of averages, um, usually a chatterbait is going to get you a bigger bite than like a, a net break. And I'm not saying always, 
but net rig is something that you know it's more prone for small mid fish um to cat to to bite than big fish chatterbaits tend to attract attract bigger bass again it that wasn't the case on that uh, fish fish was 11 inches but i know enough to know that you know chatterbaits get you bigger bites in general so i was like i'm not here to make it into the money i need to land in the top three to get it to a TLC. So I am not just going to junk fish for with a net rig for a 12-inch bass. I'm either going to make it to the TLC or come one inch short of, or come one bass short of full, of getting a full limit. That was my decision. That's what I live in. That's, I knew when I took that decision, I was either going to live and die with this and I was going to be okay with it. That was my decision. So I was like, immediately, I was like, going back to that spot. This is it. This is my decision. I'm going back to that spot. I know they're there. I know they're short striking it. I'm just going to go there, keep throwing it. Hopefully one of them will commit. I'm going to change speeds. I'm going to change colors. I'm going to change the trailers on it. I'm going to change the weight on it from a half ounce to a three ounce. I had a couple of, a few chatterbaits, um, a few rods tied with different chatterbaits. I had... Uh, the slobber knocker, white slobber knocker with a fluke tied into it, a which was half an ounce. I had the a I forgot the a Chad pattern um, jackhammer with a paddle tail, and then I uh, which was also a Chad pattern, and then I had the uh, that was three eighths of an ounce. And that, and then my third chatterbait was the Be Light Delight, which I love that jackhammer, um, with a Seiko, um, white and chartreuse um, trailer. So three different chatterbaits, um, two different weights, three different patterns, three different trailers and colors of trailers. And for the last hour, that's what I did. For the last hour and thirty minutes, that's what I did. I hunkered down that spot. And I just kept casting on it. I kept getting short strike on it. I kept changing the speeds on it. I kept changing it, the you know, from straight retrieval to, you know, erratic retrieval to twitching the rod. I tried everything to get him to bite. I've thought about just screw it. Let's just throw a net rig. But I knew I wasn't going to get a big bite out of a net rig. Well, I just felt that I wasn't going to get a big bite out of the net rig. In hindsight, I probably should have thrown a network and hopefully it would have been something that would get me in the money. But again, my goal was to make it to the TOC, not just catch a check, not just end up in the top 14, which are the ones who are getting paid. My goal was to get into TOC. And I knew at that point with the limit that I had, which was something my day two limit was 52 inches. And um, I needed at least... I'm trying to figure it out. Um, I was at 152 and a, 152 and a quarter, I think it was, and the leader was at 166. So I needed, and the third place was at 163, I think. Um, no, not 162 was more than that because I needed something bigger than a 12 incher. I was at 142. Anyways, I'm trying to look it up. I should probably look it up, but I don't want to keep you all. Anyways, I needed like a 12-inch bass to um, to make it into the money. And you can look at the attorney asks. If I had a 12-inch bass, I would have ended up in seventh place right above Drew Gregory. Um, 
if I would have gotten, I think like a 18 inch bass, um, I would have, uh, I think I would have gotten first place. Um, that would have called my 18 inch bass. There's also the thought, well, why didn't you look to get that, um, limit and then try to upgrade the reason why I didn't do that is because there wasn't a lot of bites. Keep in mind, Jackson, um, Jackson, I'm sorry, uh, who won the tournament, he was catching 20, 30 bass a day. I was just struggling to get five bites each day. Um, and I did. It's just one of them was just 11 incher. So it wasn't like I knew that I was going to have time to, to move up. Um, and realistically, I didn't an inch. I don't think I needed like a 20 inch bass to 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 land into the uh, TOC. Not at that point. I mean, eventually when I looked at the leaderboard, yeah, I probably needed like a 20 inch bass. But at times where uh took the leaderboard out, you know, I'm thinking just just a 60, maybe an 18 inch bass would get me into the TOC. And that's what I was gunning for. So. That was it. That's what I live and die with. And I died with it on this tournament. I didn't get that final bite, um, at least not a 12-incher. Um, looking back at it, would I have changed something? I probably I probably would have changed tactics a little bit earlier. Um, and that way avoid having to wait until the last two hours to look for that big bite. If I would have thrown a net rig early in the day, maybe before kind of like halfway through the day and call and gotten my limit, um, I wouldn't be under so much pressure to, you know, get a, a, a big bite at the end. But hindsight's 2020. That's it. Uh, congratulations again to Jackson and Rambonis. Great job. Like I said, great family. Fred is an awesome. His dad is an awesome uh, dad. His wife, um, uh, also a great host. And, uh, you know, it was an amazing time spending some time at their household on on Saturday. I wanted to touch on something because I know there was a little buzz around. Well, you know, uh, Jackson is Fred's son and probably has what uh, dad's waypoint and he lives at that lake. My thoughts on that is the kid is, first of all, more important than being a great angler. seems to have great character, great personality. That's way more important. He did what he's supposed to do. Yes, he had home cold advantage. Yes, he has the benefit of Fred being his dad um, and growing up with that cold uh, bass fishing culture. He doesn't have to apologize for that. He has... He has great or he has a privileged life when it comes to bass fishing so if he loves bass fishing that's what he wants to do and if you notice on his Instagram account that's his dream to be a tournament angler and he has a privileged situation that works for him yes he has to take advantage of that he owes nobody an apology for um doing great on a tournament just because he's Fred's uh oldest son and he grew up in in this you know, bass fishing culture and has this great knowledge and not just from the lake, but from his dad who probably fishes all the time. So does Gary Morgan, uh, you know, and he didn't win it. Um, he didn't even come, even come in the top three, not to take anything away from Gary Morgan. He's an amazing angler. Um, 
but just because the kid has this privileged situation um, doesn't mean that he's automatically going to catch fish. He caught probably over 60 fish in a span of two days. Um, he fished for the first time out of a kayak, for the first time out of a kayak on a tournament, not just the first time fishing on a kayak tournament, first time fishing out of a kayak. And he manages to pull this. I think it is fair to say that before we crown him into the next year minor, we have to see him do this at other tournaments. He qualified for the TOC. Um, so I expect him to do great at the TOC, not necessarily win it. Keep in mind, he's going with it against 49 of the best anglers in the country. So I don't necessarily expect him to win it. I wish him well. I think he's going to do great. Um, and that'll kind of hush some of the, um, I don't want to say haters, but some of the naysayers or the ones that are putting a question mark on his win. I don't personally put a question mark on his win. I think he did amazing. I think he could be the future of this sport. I do think, in all fairness, that I'd like to see him do this at another lake. Um, and uh, if he skunks uh, or does horrible at cattle with the TOC, then I think those questions are going to be brought up like, well, you know, you're not a, you know, you don't have your dad's waypoints kind of thing, whatever. I don't agree with that talk. I think he's a 15 year old kid with a massive talent who has taken advantage of a privileged situation, but he's made it his own and he is a great angler. And I think nothing should be taken away from him. He has nothing to apologize for. Um, do I like to be beaten by a 15-year-old kid on first time on his kayak? No. <laughs> and I actually kind of gave him a hard time for that on, on Saturday night because, you know, as a, comp I, I, as a competitor, you don't want to hear about a 15-year-old kid on the first time on his kayak um, winning the tournament and you not being able to um, um, get a full two-day limit. It, it hurts your ego, but that's nothing personal against Jackson, of course, again, great family, um, very generous, uh, uh, you know, I, and when when he does come to Texas for cattle, even though I'm not qualified, wherever, Jackson, if you're listening, if you're ever in Texas, um, give your boy a holler. We'll, we'll definitely put you on some big fish, if not cattle, some other lakes. So that's it. That's my thoughts. An hour and 12 minutes of this, me rambling. If you made it this far, <sighs> You probably have too much time in your life, but I do appreciate it. Go follow my sponsor. Go to douglasoutdoors.com. Check out the full lineup of LRS, X Matrix, and award-winning fly fishing rods. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And again, congratulations to Jackson Rambonis. Go follow him on Instagram. Um, I don't know if he has TikTok or YouTube, but if he does, go follow him on that too. Go follow his dad too, Fred Rambonis. So have a great day, everyone. Peace out. If you're going to be on the water, wear your PFDs. If you're going to have a few beers, responsibly. Now, peace out. Bye.